0: It's a trap when we believe that we have to trade current-day suffering for future happiness.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Anxious and Ambitious podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, and I'm on a mission to change the way that we think about anxiety. Oftentimes, it can feel like anxiety can get in the way of our ambitions, and I'm here to tell a different story. In each episode, we'll explore how we can manage our anxiety, heal our nervous system, and conquer our fears so we can shine as our most authentic self, go after our biggest dreams, and achieve our greatest ambitions. You'll hear stories from people who have been there themselves and strategies from experts who can help you thrive. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to another episode of Anxious and Ambitious. I'm your host, Nicole, and today I'm joined by a very special guest who I'm excited to introduce you to, who's here to really shed some light on this path to inner growth and achieving success in a meaningful way without burning out. So joining us today is Amanda Moore Ortega. Amanda is a mindfulness practitioner, a certified professional coach, and the author of the recently published book, Inward to Upward, Discover Your Blueprint for True Success and Escape the Toxic Success Trap Forever, which really takes readers through her own personal burnout journey, which we'll be diving into a bit today. And she also offers a step-by-step guide for others to establish a calm default and rediscover their North Star, which I'm also excited to dive into with Amanda today. So Amanda's specialty is really in helping high achievers, executives, entrepreneurs, and high performers to manage their stress and avoid burnout while finding that balance in work and life, which I think is a goal for many of us anxious and ambitious folks. So today, like I said, we'll be diving into Amanda's journey, how we can achieve success without so much stress and explore this power of going inward and understanding how our soul values can lead to authentic, sustainable success. So I'm excited to see where this conversation takes us and without further ado, let's welcome, Amanda, to the Anxious and Ambitious podcast.
0: Thank you so much, Nicole. I'm so happy to be here. And you all are my people. I am also anxious and ambitious. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you guys today.
1: Yes, this was really a divine connection. And I'm excited to learn more about your journey. So to start off, I know I've kind of shared a little bit about your background and what you're about Briefly, but could you share with us a bit about your personal journey that led you to writing this book and becoming the coach that you are today?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, I actually, before I started focusing on stress and burnout, I actually experienced burnout myself. And it was, it was pretty brutal. You know, I had had about almost a 30 year career and it was a pretty, you know, on paper, very successful career. And I even didn't, dislike my job. I was actually very passionate about what I did. I loved the teams that I was managing. You know, I had this idea of a servant leadership type role and I was just trying to be so amazing as a boss and all these things. And then, you know, the stress level just got really high and it was, of course, through the COVID era. And I just hit burnout and I just woke up one day and I just couldn't do it anymore. And you know, I didn't even I hadn't even heard of the great resignation at the time. As a matter of fact, after I resigned, my boss and I had lunch and she goes, so you're joining the great resignation. And I was like, what's that? <laughs> so I didn't even know that I was so unoriginal. Forty seven million Americans quit their jobs in twenty twenty one. And I was one of them. So, you know, there's something else happening. There's something larger happening. And I think, you know, the Great Resignation is a very simplified name for what a lot of people are experiencing. There's a big shift, I would say, it's more of like a tectonic shift in the world of work. And so, yeah, I, and that brought me to Going back to school, becoming a coach, and also going through, when you go to coaching school, you have to go through a lot of inner work. I wasn't aware of my thoughts before I went through that and, you know, became so aware and learned all these great skills that if I'd had those skills before, I wouldn't have probably burned out, actually. So that made me want to go back and help others. So I'm kind of back in the trenches. I'm back in corporate as now more of a corporate speaker. And I run workshops on stress management, work-life balance, burnout prevention. I do off-sites. I, I do a lot of speaking, actually more speaking than coaching now. And I, you know, I really just, my goal I think right now is just to help high achievers. There's a lot to it. It's unlearning a type of success that's unsustainable and, and redefining success to include our well-being, and well, there's a lot more to it, but yeah, that is kind of my, my goal is to help people with exactly what I needed help with, but couldn't find it at the time.
1: Wow. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing a little bit of that journey with us. And I'm glad that it's taken you to this work that you were part of that great resignation. I was too. So cheers to that. And I love that you mentioned this idea of unlearning and redefining because that is what so many of us have to do. I mean, how we are promoted to achieve success in the world by and large leads to burnout. I've seen it with so many people. And so I love that you're helping people to escape this and you call it the toxic success trap, which I really (laughs) love. Can you explain what you mean by that?
0: Yeah. And it is hard to say, isn't it? Um, If you say it five times, you probably you know, tongue twister. But (laughs) what I think of as the toxic success trap is a couple of things. One is the first really fundamental piece of it is believing that success is a trade-off. So it's a trap when we believe that we have to trade current day suffering for future happiness. So that is the trap. So what the reason it's a trap is it's Never going to come because we, what we're actually doing when we believe in suffering like that and we believe in chronic stress as a fuel for our success is we're actually behaviorally training ourselves to be unhappy. <laughs> because you know what I'm saying? So, and we, and we believe that even sitting still for a few minutes isn't allowed, or we have to earn rest or we have to earn calm. The actual opposite is true. So as natural beings, we're actually designed to be, to default to a state of calm and to reserve stress as a short-term fuel for urgent situations, maybe exciting situations, but it I think of it as a little backpack with a fuel tank in it. And if we can learn that it's not fueling our success and that, you know, having our shoulders up and our jaws clenched and fingers on the keyboard doesn't produce wonderful outcomes and maybe taking a walk may give us a better outcome right so like we we can expand that isn't that isn't healthy thinking to think that right the other the other part of it so there's the trade off and then there's just the fundamental cultural belief in stress as being necessary it's just i think we we've i don't know how we've gotten here but we've we've bought into this idea that if you're not hustling or moving quickly or moving fast right that you're not in the game and you need to you need to pick yourself up by i mean there's all these sayings that we maybe grew up with like they call it work for a reason or like you know whatever you know there's all these weird sayings like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you know <laughs> it's just this work hard mentality and you know i think it's an unsustainable way of living and you know the irony is the American dream is supposed to be the pursuit of happiness. And then what do we do? We tell the children and we, you know, everyone, even peers, like that we don't support each other in taking risks and pursuing happiness. We really don't. I mean, we, we kind of want everyone to be safe and we want, and we think safety is in the doctor, lawyer, accountant, like and, and not picking on those careers if the, that's people's passion, but only the left brain careers are, are valid or like, you know, there's just a lot of, folklore that we're all believing about success. And so anyway, I could talk about this all day, but there's the toxic success trap really is a way of thinking. It's a mindset about what success is. So to have the opposite, to have healthy success, I think it's really about more, less about what we're achieving and what we have. Now, I, I, you know, I do like to have things, but I also now define success based on how I feel a lot more. This is my one life. I'm not going to put happiness off for retirement. I'm not going to put it off for vacation. I'm not going to wait till the yoga class after work to relax, right? I'm going to live in alignment and in peace as who I am and show up authentically as much as I possibly can in my life. And I don't believe in chronic stress anymore. <laughs> so those are those are some things that I try to work on with people.
1: Yeah, I think that that is a really important thing to understand because like you said, so many of us think that stress is necessary for success. And if you're not stressed, then you're not going to be successful or you'll never achieve success. When in reality, when you operate from that, you never even get to experience the happiness or the joy or the celebration because you're just stuck in that stress cycle. And I've never um, heard that imagery of picturing stress like a backpack, a jet fuel backpack, but I love that so much because, you know, it it serves a purpose. It has a time and place. It's there for a reason, right? It's an adaptable response that our body has, but we don't need to operate from that all the time. Mm-mm. And, yeah. you know, I,
0: I say it like, oh, you know, this is also obvious, but it wasn't to me. And I was I just want anyone listening who, you know, it's like, wow, you know, maybe this is either the first time you're really hearing it or the first time you're really kind of taking it in. I was on that burnout train. I I hit that wall. And, you know, I just want everyone to know that, like, unfortunately, I had to learn all this the hard way. So I'm just hoping that I can help people not have to reach that point.
1: Yeah, for sure. And as I was going through your social media recently, I heard you talking about how stress is contagious. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like this is something that people talk about a lot. So can you expand on that?
0: Yeah, that's absolutely. It's research. It's, you know, I I have a woo-woo side, but I also really like research and evidence and science and things. And I do look and see what, what is research telling us about stress. And and there's a few things. One is stress is contagious. So when we go into a workplace, even if we didn't bring stress in ourselves, when we go into that workplace, if everyone else's pants are on fire, hair's on fire, whatever the phrase is, we pick it up. And so, you know, another truth about stress that is research is showing is that promotion. So when we get promoted, which we all think we want these promotions, why do we think this? I don't know. This is our, we're conditioned. So we get promoted and it's not happier. We're not like, whew, finally got my promotion. I'm relaxed. Our stress level typically will increase about 10%. Mm -hmm. And it, it actually promotion they call it the promotion effect. And it actually triggers our, our survival instincts. And it, when we have our survival instinct on or our fight or flight on, we actually perceive limited time and resources, even if it's not limited. So we can't see abundance. We can't see, and what do we need our leaders to, to do? We need them to be, you know, accessing possibility and abundance and leading, you know, steering the ship calmly away from the icebergs in the, in the business world. Right. And so leaders are sort of, they're setting the energy and tone of the workplace and their stress level went up when they became the leader. (laughs) And nobody really does talk about this. It's stress is sort of, now I really see, you know how you get a red car and you see red cars everywhere. I'm starting to really see stress as this underlying common thread among a lot of the workplace challenges that HR is trying to solve, like employee engagement, you know, hiring, you know, like, you know, retention and innovation, productivity, you know, employee satisfaction, you just think about it and you're like, how much of this stems from a culture that believes in stress? Yeah. And a leadership that's, you know, um, now I see it in, in some of the things it fear-based, right? Like sort of fear-based, like if I let you work from home, you know, it's like a fear-based decision that a lot of companies are making. And if the leadership even got trained in, calm leadership. How would that trickle down? And it is contagious. So back to your question, it is contagious, but it also, if you think about it, it's worse coming down. Like I could train the workers all day long, but if this if the leadership's like, all right, did you have fun at your stress management seminar, back to work? <laughs> it has to be culturally sort of these beliefs need to be shifted. It's it's a lot of work to change a culture. But yeah, I think stress is a belief system.
1: Hmm. Yeah. That is so interesting. Stress as a belief system. And it just makes me think about how our whole society is really built on, like, if you think about like a house being built out of straw and easy to burn down, if our society mm-hmm. is built on stress, I mean, what does stress lead to burnout? Yes. So exactly. what are we setting ourselves up for? I mean, how many businesses fail, how many people quit their job or leave because of burnout. Mm-hmm. And we often blame ourselves where really this is Part of the system, I guess.
0: Yeah, it is, and we've got. I mean, I think awareness. You know how in AA they say awareness and acceptance are the first steps. They used to only say awareness. Now I think it's awareness and acceptance. But it's almost like if we, through these conversations, can just maybe raise the awareness a little bit, like stress awareness. Yeah. You know, I ask, I ask my clients and and in my workshops, I say, you know, I don't want you to wait till you're off work today to relax. Mm-hmm. I want you to find, this is like a challenge, I want you to find the toughest meeting you have on your calendar next week and use it as a petri dish and go in there and experience calm presence once. Just do it once because, you know, our brains love evidence, right? And see if the whole world falls apart if you're not stressed. See if everything, see what happens. Be an observer. Just observe Kind of look around and be like, interesting. Okay, everybody's stressed out right now or kind of be outside of it and and kind of learn that Eckhart Tolle calls it, watch the thinker. It's sort of this idea of accessing your higher mind and observing while you participate. Oh my God, what a great skill. Gosh, oh I gosh. wish I had that before I burned out, you know, and I, I think of it as self-coaching. It's like, oh, wait, I'm not operating out of my higher mind. Hold on. Let me step back. Let me slow down. Let me observe. How do I feel? Oh, I'm in this stressful meeting, my stomach hurts. That's interesting. And you start to become more of an observer and you use curiosity to sort of explore. Anyway, this is, I think, the way to get out of the trap.
1: I really do. Yeah, I totally agree. If you're not aware that you're in a trap, then it's easy to actually escape it. So I think that, like you said, this awareness is key. And I love this idea of trying to find a time where you know that it's typically going to be triggering for you or stressful. I remember you telling me that with your client, you know, mm-hmm. she was first super stressed about this meeting on her calendar. And then it became a source of excitement because oh, I get to practice this mm-hmm, opportunity. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and then
0: she, you know, she texted me right away, you know, and I was out shopping with some friends that were here from California visiting, and I was so excited to get her text. She's like, the meeting's over, you know. So, um, yeah, I think we have to experiment and prove to ourselves that this can can be, because otherwise, our little fear center in our brain is going, uh-uh, I need the stress. I don't believe you, Amanda. So it's like yeah. trying calm, trying calm out, and and thinking about... Um, you know, I kind of think of it as, okay, we can't rest at work necessarily. We can't like lie around, take a nap necessarily at work, although that would be fantastic. But I think if we can ha- look at our stress as a scale from one to 10 and think of rest as under five, maybe that's a good place to start and just start to build awareness using that scaling question and just saying, where am I right now? Yeah. And if, if you're at it like an eight or a nine, maybe the next question is, okay, I'm really stressed is stress serving me right now as a fuel for what i'm trying to do do i need it yeah and then the next question is flow chart no pack it back away into the backpack right and just say i can reserve that for a time when i really need it but right now i don't need cortisol running through my veins i can actually slow down breathe you know just kind of get my calm back it's just we have to reclaim it it's gonna have to be in the moment
1: and I think something powerful about what you were saying there is how this is really internal, our ability to create this calm. Because a lot of the time, when people talk about stress management, we might think of like, oh, can you take a nap? How can you incorporate more self care outside of work and things like that? Uh-huh. But it really starts from within, which is the topic of your book, right? Inward yes. to upward, doing <laughs> this inner work to create outward and upward expansion. Uh-huh. So I'm curious, was there like a moment or a particular reason that led you to write this book?
0: Well, I I did so much research and that was part of it was just having so much research. And, you know, I, you know, in my old job, I used to just make PowerPoints all the time. And I laugh at myself because my kids would be like, what do you do for a living? And I would say, I make PowerPoints, basically. <laughs> That's what I do. Because <laughs> when you're a strategist, you're like, okay, here's the insights, here's the data, here's the plan, here's the, and it's just all on slides. So I thought, oh, I need to put these into a PowerPoint. And then I was like, not everybody's going to be able to read a PowerPoint. What if I published a book on this and gave people a blueprint, you know? And so, yeah. And so like, in Word, to Upward for me is really about, for me, it was more about the act one to act two transition in life. But I will say it's not really about quitting your job or leaving the corporate world. That's not what the book's about. Because I would say about 50% of my clients are still in it and they're there. And I love working with my corporate clients and just helping them enjoy life more and establish calm now while they're still in it. I left because I hit burnout. And so the inward to upward blueprint does seem a little bit more geared towards coming back to your true self, because I think another cause of burnout over time. So, you know, I'm in my 50s, so over time, it's like the little mouse with the lever and the pellet, where if we're in a corporate setting or a, or a work-related setting, we, we often start to calibrate to performance reviews, you know, uh, feedback and um, promotions, raises, and it becomes like our dopamine or our reward system. And so if we weren't really given the tools to know that our worth is not the same as our performance, that's where I think it becomes almost like a crisis. It becomes almost like an identity crisis because, you know, when I burned out, I was definitely 100% work was so much a part of my identity and like i said i didn't have these skills at the time right and i remember trying to get used to having a outlook calendar or a google calendar that didn't have stuff on it just just not having the busyness that had been such a part of my identity i i I really felt invisible and and useless and worthless and I'm, I'm saying this in case anyone can relate to it, because it sounds ridiculous. I realize that when I'm saying it. But looking at that empty calendar made me feel like life was over in a sense. Like I, I had not done the work to understand my true worth was non-negotiable and was innate to who I was born to be. And that my performance was other people's opinion. Yes. And I think I, I don't know. I mean, I hope others can relate to this. Those two things were so enmeshed that I didn't even know who I was. Yeah. So that's what the book's really about. I try really hard to give people a blueprint for going back to who you were born to be. And your uniqueness has
1: value, you know? Yeah. And like, I can definitely relate to this myself because like you, I definitely tied my worth to my success and my work. And this just creates so much pressure to perform pressure, you know, not just from externally, a lot of the time we apply it much more within ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so how then do you begin, I guess, separating this self, this identity that you've created that is often so tied up in our work because what's the first question people ask you when they meet you, right? What do you do?
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that is supposed to be who you are in a sense is really what the question is, right? So it's, it's great question. So I do have a little exercise that I do where I say, you know, if you could make two lists, one is what I've accomplished. And I, at two years ago, could have filled that one out whoop bump 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 bump, bullet bullet bullet, master's degree blah 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 and then the other list is who I am can I actually know people who actually have it the other way around and they're very much who I am but they don't know what they've accomplished because they've been more focused in this area their whole lives so I do know people like that not many though I think a lot of us Did what we're supposed to do quote unquote and we went out and performed and we hit the milestones and we learned to jump the hoops and who we are is in question a little it's a little uneasy to look at that second list um so that's a that's a starting point now that doesn't feel very comfortable for most people but i do also think the the values map that i'm providing in the book i'll tell you what a lot of this stuff could make you want to rock in a corner because it's fair. It is your identity we're talking about, and it really, if you don't have a a, a new plan, you're going to feel like you're just ripping something out, right? So the values list should be a nice, comforting safety net for most people. It's a way to go and explore your true self by looking really at a whole bunch of words on a page and then feeling, and I, I want to emphasize feeling, not thinking, mm-hmm. feeling what words resonate the most. And it may take a couple of tries. It may take a couple of weeks. When I first started coaching, when my clients would get to their top three values out of the out of the sheet, and they really, really felt like they did the work to embody those, and they know, and that you could tell in their tone of voice, the energy, I would make them little bracelets with their values on them, like three little bracelets and send it to them, like the little bead bracelets. Creativity was one of my top values. So I was trying to like lean into one of my values for my clients as a gift. But I think that exercise helps. I really, really do. I'm not just saying that to say buy my book, but I really think that exercise helps because it gives you a map rather than looking into the abyss, which we're not comfortable with, right? We're not comfortable with like walking into the gray area, or my therapist calls it the tunnel of chaos, you know, I don't want to go in there. But if I, if you look at the map and you kind of think about the values and sit with it a little bit, because we've learned some values that we have a performance layer of our identity that's holding on to some values that we learned. Like I used to value excellence and, you know, performance and delivery and, you know, servant leadership. And I'm not saying those aren't good things. I'm not making fun of those things, but I do know that those are part of my performance layer of my identity now but what the way I was born was a person of faith creativity connection so uh, so those are the words that after several iterations of this values exercise I have really very much drawn to my heart and soul and I call them soul values you know and I realize now that I don't have to look at anybody else's definition of success and nobody's waiting at the end of my life with a trophy for having done it their way. And all the rules are written by people operating out of their fear center. And <laughs> my parents were operating out of their fear center when they t- you know, shunned creativity and told me to go to law school or whatever. And I didn't, but, um, so do you see what I'm saying? I think, I hope I'm not down a rabbit hole, but my point is <laughs> that when I operate out of those values, now it gives me a map. It gives me a map to know that my day was spent in a worthwhile way because I operated out of my values and gave of my gifts that I was born with, whether I was paid or not that day. That's how I lived that day. And nobody else's criteria matter to me anymore. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's so beautiful because it's hard for us to know sometimes who we are. We're so conditioned to believe that we are tied to our success, to what we do in the world, maybe to your roles if you're a mom or you know, a dog mom like me. (laughs) And so, you know, when somebody sits down and asks you, well, who are you? Who is this personal version of yourself? And just asks you to write up the list, I can see how that would be really overwhelming for a lot Mm -hmm. of people. So I love that you have this exercise with something that they can grab from. And I think the key word just to emphasize again was feeling into this Mm -hmm. because a lot of the time we just think, 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 and then we go nowhere.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think, and I think all my life being raised by attorneys and, you know, there's a lot of logic, I guess you could say in my family, um, is that thoughts are valid, feelings aren't valid. And it's so funny i feel so rebellious but i think i've flipped that now i think i really trust my feelings more than i trust my thoughts i do because i think my thoughts can be just really contaminated and you know it's like a negativity virus in my operating system you know and and i'm so glad i have the awareness i do now and it took so long it's taken me two years to get to a point where i'm like. Okay, and that's the other thing is redefining balance is balance isn't juggling. Right. I think that was another thing I thought. So now Mm. I'm just dispelling all of the myths I believed. I believed that (laughs) juggling things and having to do lists in lots of areas. So I was Mm -hmm. so type A, I could be type A and hosting Thanksgiving, the perfect Thanksgiving. I mean, (laughs) I really feel bad for my kids because they used to be like, Mom, your eyes doing that thing. And my youngest will look at me sometimes and go, why do you look worried? I'm like, I'm not worried. I'm not worried. And it's just, it's just the stress of like trying to be me, like trying to, (laughs) but I think the balance now I realize is having a solid footing. Balance Mm -hmm. is not juggling to do's endlessly. Yeah. And I I did used to believe that. I thought, oh look at me, I have balance. I'm the class mom and the executive and the church volunteer and I'm cooking these amazing meals for my family and decorating for Christmas. And I mean, I was gonna break apart with my balance that I was achieving. (laughs) You know, and now I'm like, no, 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 no. Balance is self-care and sleep and nutrition and gut health and walking in the sunshine and looking at nature. I mean, you know, it's just a very different definition of balance.
1: Yeah. And you're right. I think most of us, when we think about this idea of work-life balance, we think about the juggling act, like, well, how can I create more moments for me to express my personal self while also honoring these goals that I have and these aspirations. And then it just becomes like a tight walker, you know, adding more things from (laughs) one side to the other when really we need to build a stronger foundation. Uh And then we'll be balanced. You know what I
0: mean? It's like, it's solid, you know? Yeah. We're not, we're not as, you know, triggered by stress factors because we've got balance you know so it's just a very different definition
1: yeah and the image that comes into my mind is like if you were trying to build a huge tower this is often what we do in our lives is just try to go up as fast as we can but you wouldn't just build an extremely Mm. tall tower without a really solid foundation so we need to do that with ourselves So I'm curious then for our listeners who are like, maybe I have been placing too much time and attention into these external things that I want to achieve, into these Mm -hmm. aspirations that I have. How would you suggest them to kind of create that balance between still going after those external goals, but honoring their inner selves?
0: That's a great question because I'm definitely not trying to say don't have external goals. Yeah. I think a couple things might help. One is if if you can start thinking ha- about how performance is different from worth, that that's a good place to start. Like those two lists we talked about, like what I've achieved and who I am. You're just try to believe or trust that your worth is innate. Like Like there were a billion people, billions of people born before you and there'll be billions after you. There's no two alike. So in the design of life, there has to be a value to uniqueness. So can you look in the mirror and value that? Can you can you look at that woman in the mirror and say, I'm going to be your best friend now. I'm going to stop being your critic. And I'm going to get to know you for who you truly are. Because, you know, you love your best friend for who your best friend truly is, right? Mm-hmm. So it's that, it's that maybe that approaching yourself as someone to love for who they are. You could do that with Keep, and you can keep your performance goals but try to work on this other side project of self-love and true belonging and alignment with who you truly are and see see where that takes you because you might end up merging those two in a very healthy way the other thing I would suggest so a couple of answers to that same question one is I still have external goals I am ambitious and what I try to do is I check myself so I say all right I have a nice house, right? That's important to me. I have three children. I have two dogs. I'm a dog mom too. I have more pictures of my dogs than I do my kids. So we could talk about dogs forever. But I I have this home. I didn't grow up in a home that was very welcoming. And it's important to me to have this welcoming home. And it's a nice home. It's in a nice neighborhood. But when I'm defining success about that material thing that I have, I want to go to how I feel that's a good way to check and make sure you're being sort of true to yourself and that success isn't being uh, defined by the transactional side only. I feel safe. I feel, so my house makes me feel safe. It makes me feel like I can invite people in. I can be welcoming, you know. Um, I have a teen son, he's 19, and all his friends come over and do a bonfire in the backyard or all sleep in the basement and they're gaming all night, and I think, I'm a safe haven for them. That's a that's a gift. It's a generational gift. They don't have that in all the houses, right? They're not in a bar. They're at my house, right? So, So I guess what I'm saying is check with yourself and make sure those external goals also have a corresponding feeling that feels whole to you. Yeah. Is that helpful?
1: Yeah, that's really helpful because I think a lot of the time, the reason that we actually enjoy these external goals is for values that are also external to ourselves, right? Like you said, Mm -hmm. they're performance tied instead of personal tied. So how can you make sure that you're honoring those really heart-centered goals that you have at a soul level, Mm -hmm. um, whether that's in your work or outside of it? That's beautiful. Mm Yay. Yay. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah, so, and I
0: would say, I, I do want to add, stay ambitious, I mean, you know, I I want everyone to have all the things, I want everyone to have the abundance and the wealth, and there's, there's plenty of success for everyone to go around, but if you can operate out of your higher mind and make it more of a holistic view of success, and not out of our fear center, fear of scarcity, fear of lack of resources. You know, I just wanted to point that out. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just wanted to Mm -hmm. share that too. It's really about how are we approaching success? Is it like, oh, I, you know, I'm afraid. Like I used to really picture myself under a bridge, you know, with a shopping cart. It was like, I had an extreme fear of scarcity and I was driven by fear. And I think a lot of very successful people would find that they are somewhat driven by fear as well. So I think that's another telltale sign of whether your ambition is healthy or not.
1: Yes. Yes, what is that ambition actually driven by? Is it driven by fear or is it driven by joy and excitement or more expansive emotions? Um and while all of this is amazing and I agree with all of it I can almost hear in my mind like a little bird almost I guess saying okay, but how do I actually go about doing this? Because if I'm an ambitious person and especially if you're feeling anxious, it might feel like you already have a lot on your plate. So do you have any like daily practices or simple routines that you do to stay connected with your inner self?
0: I do now, you know, like I said before burnout, I really didn't have that. I w- I think coffee was my only, coffee and wine were my only strategies really and expensive vacations. Um, And all jokes aside, so I do a lot of breathing exercises and, you know, I kind of have become a little bit of a mindfulness nerd where I have all these like little devices. Like I have a little sound clearing, little electronic sound clearing device that I'll use. I have, I have a candle here. I light my candle when I say my intentions. I have sticky notes with, you know, I, I use scripture or I'll use some just inspiring quote and I try to keep myself grounded in that I have all kinds of goodies here. I also, I will tell you, I also take a lot of um, supplements that I've found to manage cortisol levels because stress also feeds stress. So like, if you have a lot of cortisol, it, because it triggers your survival, you're going to generate more of it. And it's very easy to do that. So like if you are in a stressful, you know, fast paced workplace, Look at things like adrenal cortex or, you know, I have this one called Nutri-Calm, um, nervous system support. I would say talk to your doctor. So doctors are not going to go, so how's your cortisol? Let's test your cortisol. It, it just, unless you're a police officer or something, they're just not going to really talk to you about it. Talk to your doctor about cortisol because the toxin itself, that's the true killer. So that's one thing is just know if you do feel like it's going to take you a while to change your behavior, start to care about that and and use that like, you know, things like gut health and things like, you know, adrenal support, just start to learn more about stress and the impact on our bodies. Um, and then whatever path works for you, I'm certainly not a doctor. I'm not telling you what to take, but I take things. I just want you to know, I actually take adrenal cortex. I manage my cortisol. I don't have a very stressful life, but I don't want any extra cortisol. I also learned little things like after two cups of coffee, you actually are raising your cortisol levels. So if you're a big coffee drinker, maybe think about two cups and then switching to something else and and shifting a maybe just the drinking itself is the behavior that you want, but maybe make it herb tea or you know cacao powder is is a good alternative that kind of feels like you're drinking coffee or like, you know, um, anyway, so I'm now just all these like physical maintenance things, I think. I think also, you know what'd be really great if if people have the budget for it and feel like they have the time is go on a a fi- fact-finding mission and go like if if you use Groupon or something and just try a bunch of random self-care things. Like after my burnout, I just went I went to the stretch lab, I went to I went everywhere. I did all the things, right? The cryotherapy. I just tried everything and just kind of like what's out there and you know putting yourself in a world of care can do a lot. Um, another thing I would say is watch your media intake because stress, like I said, builds on itself. Um, I you know, I kind of challenge everyone, please take an exercise and look at who you're following in your feed, whatever social platform you're on, and analyze whether it's driving stress or driving calm. And see what it feels like to unfollow or snooze all the stress sources. And I'm talking about CNN and Fox News or whatever, you know, whatever it is. I know you want to be informed, but like if it's inducing stress, see what it feels like to unfollow a lot of that stuff and then deliberately fill your feed with whatever makes you feel happy or calm. I mean, I'm all about the, I follow dogs on social media.
1: (laughs) Me
0: too. (laughs) You know, Um, so these, I mean, I could give you a long list, but I I think also there's apps, there's great apps. There's one called Budify that is, uh, it's really fun and it's only $5. Go ahead and spend the $5. You're going to spend it on coffee anyway, and you're going to cut your coffee. So just go ahead and buy the app, but just try little apps that are like meditation apps or, you know, YouTube has different meditations. And, you know, I think another thing is I call it walking is working. You're not doing yourself any good trying to have your like shoulders up and your jaw clenched on the keyboard trying to work. Do it a little bit, but then catch yourself and go, "You know what? If I take a walk right now, I can allow my subconscious to do some of the heavy lifting of all the information I'm trying to process. And I can get my vision out this way rather than that survival blinders thing on the screen, and I can get my mental health back and then I can come back and I'm probably going to be more useful." So just, I don't know, I hope some of those things help.
1: Yeah, no, that's really helpful. So many practices. And also something I think is that's magical about those practices that you shared is it's very holistic, right? This shows it's not just about, you know, doing your mantras in the morning or something Mm -hmm. or just about going and taking a walk, but supporting your mind, body and soul because Mm -hmm. stress affects all of that, right? Yeah,
0: 100%.
1: Yeah. So if you're listening, I would encourage you try some of these ideas that Amanda has shared with us and just do it from a place of curiosity, just to try it. Mm -hmm. Maybe you'll like it, maybe you won't, but you'll end up finding what works for you and building up your own stress toolkit, I guess, for lack of a better (laughs) word, in case your stress toolkit is like many of ours, just coffee, wine, and vacation. Yeah. So as we wrap up this conversation here, Amanda, this has been amazing. Do you have any final advice or key takeaways that you'd like to leave our listeners with?
0: I think I think just like, even if it feels a little scary, try to explore that space in your mind and become aware of your thoughts and see if you're judging yourself, see if you're judging others, see if you're criticizing yourself, criticizing others. It all comes from the same part of our brain. And see what it feels like to let go of a lot of that and just use gratitude practice or whatever it may be to open up a more hopeful, more positive part of your brain. And know that the media and the culture is all working against you. (laughs) It is, it's a conspiracy. They're trying to get you to believe you're not good enough and that you'll never be good enough and you've got to keep chasing their external criteria. Try to come up with your own, you know, that's all. Just be you. You're awesome the way you are. And, you know, Miles Davis once said, sometimes it takes a really long time to sound like yourself. And he was a jazz musician, right? And I just think, take the time, take the time to learn how to sound like yourself or be yourself, you know, just it's worth it.
1: Yes, it is so worth it. That journey inward. I mean, it's going to take you further than arguably any upward trajectory in our You know, corporate world, I guess, for lack Mm -hmm. of a better word. Where can our listeners connect with you and grab your book, Amanda?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on Instagram. I try to create a lot of content there. I'm still trying different things. It's kind of fun. I'm at, it's at Beyond Balance underscore coach. My business is Beyond Balance Coaching. And my book is on Amazon, and I I think it's free in the Kindle Unlimited. So if you have Kindle Unlimited, you can download it. It is a lot easier to read as a paperback because of the charts and stuff at the back, like the worksheets. Um, But it is on Amazon. I would love for everyone to, you know, even if you don't buy it, just share it with someone you know that's kind of stressed out. Maybe, (laughs) Uh, you know, I'm just trying to get the word out and try to help everybody kind of consider a different approach to success that's a little healthier and more sustainable.
1: Yes, that is so needed in today's world. So if you've found this conversation to be helpful as well, please share it with your friends because more people need to hear this conversation so that they can achieve success without all of this stress and burnout that oftentimes can come along with it. So I will be sure to link all of uh, Amanda's social media links in the show notes. So be sure to go and check her out there, go and grab her book, especially if you have Kindle unlimited, what a good deal. Mm -hmm. And yeah, thank you so much for joining us today on anxious and ambitious Amanda. Like I said, if you've enjoyed this episode and found any value, please share the word, leave a review. It really helps this podcast to get in front of more amazing people just like you. And remember you can always, reach out to us on social media. We would love to hear from you if this impacted you, your questions, comments, suggestions, anything like that is always welcome. So thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time for another episode of anxious and ambitious.